0: My name is Pastor Nel Kanda. I went to Weimar in 2003-2004, and I am blessed every time I get to come back. I am reminded about all my experiences at Weimar, where I made some of the most loyal friends that I've ever had, and they're still good friends today. And they're pastoring doing Bob work, evangelism, or one is actually finishing up his Ph.D. down in Southern California, and we talk every other day, You make some of the best friends you have when you're doing ministry. Amen? Amen. Weimar is very special because I went to Weimar, I believe it was three years after I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I had some remarkable experiences. God has been so good, so faithful to me. And when I went to Weimar College, I got a, a good taste of healthy Adventism, surrounded by some good people, good teachers, wonderful experiences, got to be out here in nature I was born and raised in Southern California. The biggest things we saw were pigeons and dogs. Coming here, I saw a mountain lion, bears, you name it. But being out here again just reminded me of many experiences. Some of those experiences was going into the cafeteria. And uh, being a pastoral student and uh, a young single pastoral student, you're oftentimes looking for a mate. And many times in the nursing department. And so me, like several other pastoral students, we would take our Adventist home and our child guidance, and we'd walk into sort of the cafeteria, and we'd be like we're reading it, just like this, hoping that some young single lady would see it. And then we'd try to make eye contact with them so they could see that we are a family individual, family-type person. So these are the things that I remember coming back to Weimar College. But I am really blessed to be here. I'm taking off tomorrow, maybe even tonight, I'm not quite sure, but I will be back Saturday night for the presentation, and that's going to be about how to reach the scholarly mind. You don't want to miss it. I actually felt impressed to take a class at the local college, and it was a philosophy of science class, and I'm going to be sharing the experiences that God led me into as I took that class, and that's this Saturday night. But before we go any further, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Let's ask Jesus to bless us. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time. And Lord, our heart's desire is our heart's desire is, is openness to your spirit. God, we need you to touch not only our mind but our heart. We need you to change our characters to bring our finite self into contact with your infinite greatness so that we may be changed. God, we are praying especially for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We pray and ask that when we are done with this message, we will have known we have sat at the feet of Jesus. This is our prayer, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we're just going to make sure this clicker is working. Okay, very good. All right. Okay, very good. Well, I just had a birthday about a few days ago. And thank you very much. I turned age 34. 34, amen. 34 years old. And uh, I'm getting older. And I got more gray hair. It's very interesting. You know, every time I go home to my family, uh, they, they always say to me, look at him, he's not it yet. And uh, they'll say things like, he's got more gray hairs than the gurus. You know, they'll say all sorts of things like that to me. And so, every time it's my birthday, I get to reflect upon the years that have come. And I just think about my life. Age 34, I was born and raised in Southern California. My parents immigrated from Northeast India or Northwest India, Punjab. I grew up in a Hindu family with a Sikh background also. And about 13 years ago, God led a young man to start giving me Bible studies, and we were both baptized in the year 2000. God is faithful, amen? amen? But as I was thinking about my age, I was just looking back in all the things that I have encountered in 34 years of living, 34 years of living. I have seen so many different things in my short life, and I just wonder the things about the things that are going to take place in the future. You know, and just looking back, it seems like I have seen nations rise and nations fall within my 34 years of life. I have seen some revolutions and counter revolutions that have taken place. I've seen wealth dispersed and wealth lost during my time. I've seen an entire nation come under fear because of planes that hit two buildings. I've seen so much in just my short life and I look at my life and I think to myself, things are changing very rapidly, very quickly. Just think about your life, maybe about 10 years ago. Think about all the things that have taken place. We are not living in the same America that we were living 20 years ago. And anyone who's over the age of 25 will admit that. We are living in a completely different world like never before. Think about communication. Think about all the things that have taken place with the Internet, the advancements that have happened in our lifetime We have seen an entire generation go from playing out in the streets to being confined in their rooms on their iPhones and on Facebook. You take a good look at what's happening in the world and it is unusual. We are a generation that have experienced advancement so rapidly in our time there is no other generation that even compares to the XYZ generation. We are living in some very unusual times. And it's times like this that God is calling us to bear a message like never before, to present the gospel clearer than it's ever been before. You know, we have more Bibles than we've ever had in all the history of humanity. Right now, we have more Bibles than than all all the generations that have come before us. We are living at that time. We actually know more about the scriptures than Abraham did. We have more knowledge about who God is more than even Moses himself. Even more than Nehemiah, even the disciples did not understand the things that we understand today. We have more information about who God is, yet the world is even more ignorant than it has ever been before. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special message to present, and God is wanting us to understand some very special things about these messages. Everybody take your Bible and let's go to Proverbs chapter 22. I'm going to show you a very remarkable verse. Proverbs chapter 22. God has a high and holy calling for every one of us. And there are going to be people within this group who will be privileged with what Proverbs chapter 22 says. Make sure you are picking up your Bible and you are turning pages because if you're not looking at your Bible, you're looking at me. And that's not pretty. We're going to Proverbs chapter 22. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Go all the way to verse, Proverbs 22, go to all the way to verse 29. Look what the Bible says. Very powerful. Do you see a man who what? Excels in his work. This is what the writer of Proverbs is saying. He's like, look, have you ever seen somebody who is excellent at what they do, who is thorough, who is diligent at what they do? Then watch what he says next. He will stand before what? Kings. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. Now watch what else this is. He will not stand before unknown men. The Bible is saying a very powerful principle that someone who excels in their their work, in the things that God has called them to do, they will stand before some of the greatest leaders in this world. You take a good look at Scripture. You take a good look at people like Joseph. You take a good look at people like Moses. You take a good look at people like um, Esther, people like John the Baptist. They stood before kings, and they bore a message that was needed at that time. And ladies and gentlemen, you take a good look at Martin Luther, who also witnessed at the Diet of Worms. Read what Ellen White says. Never before was this such a a great collection of kings and rulers in one place. And Martin Luther was called to give a message that was so powerful, yet this same principle that we find in Proverbs chapter 22 may be your calling today. It may be your calling God, one day through providence, may lead you before some of the greatest rulers, before some of the greatest legislators, and before some of the greatest kings and queens to bear a message that is needed like never before. Ladies and gentlemen, that may be your calling. And as we take a good look at Scripture, and as we begin to understand what the message that God wants to present, we begin to understand, first of all, the motivation. And that is Jesus. Can you say amen to that? That the Bible says that he who's forgiven much, what? He who's forgiven much, what? So if you're not loving God, there's something wrong. You don't understand justification. You don't understand forgiveness. If you're thinking to yourself, how is it that I don't love God? Then you need to be praying that God would give you a greater understanding of his love for you. And when you have that great understanding, it will propel you to do things you never thought you would ever do before. I never forgot that when I first learned these great truths, I was so excited about it, I never, I never went before my uncles, and my uncles were staunch Hindus. And I told them, I said, I want to be a pastor. And this was the time my family wanted me to go into computer science. I personally wanted to go into law. And when the Lord was really leading me to this calling, I told them, I said, I'm going to be a pastor. That's why I'm going to go to Weimar College. And I never forgot, they actually started weeping. They started crying because they thought this was the ultimate betrayal of Hinduism. Ladies and gentlemen, the world does not understand the calling that we have. And when you are called to present the call, give give this calling to this world, and when you're called to present the message, the world may not understand, your family may not understand, the people around you may not understand, but God is calling you to be faithful. And when you get to heaven, you're going to understand how all of heaven was rooting for you during that time when you felt utterly alone, when you felt like it was just you. But ladies and gentlemen, this is so powerful for us to understand. When God calls us to be faithful and we are diligent at the things he gives before us, he will lead us through his providence in some powerful, powerful opportunities. In fact, I was reading about John the Baptist. Ellen White talks about John the Baptist. You can read about it in Desire of Ages. And she says some remarkable things. She talks about John the Baptist. And she says, the world... Views, intellectual greatness of great worth. The world looks at wealth and says this is of great worth. But she says, when heaven looks for worth in mankind, it is moral value. It is moral value. It is character what heaven values the most. And then she goes right after that, and she says, she's talking about John the Baptist, and she says, when John the Baptist preached, prepare the way for the kingdom, she said that Satan feared for the safety of his kingdom. Satan feared for the safety of his kingdom because of one man's message. One man's message. One man who began to preach, prepare the way for the Lord. Satan himself, the greatest of all angels, this mighty angel who fell, who has led a rebellion, he feared for the safety of his kingdom because of one man. One man who was so committed to God, who was so dedicated, who was sold out. To prepare the message. Very interesting thing about John the Baptist, his dad, when he doubted the words of God, his voice was taken away. But John the Baptist would become known as the voice in the wilderness. The voice in the wilderness. When you take a good look at John the Baptist, and you take a good look at the potential destiny that God has for each and every one of us, there's a simple principle that we need to understand, and this simple principle is being studied out right now. And this is called the principle of, you can say, we can actually look at this. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I'll try to go there really quickly. I know we're having some PowerPoint difficulties, but that comes with the territory. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Oh, that's cool. That's some nice graphics there. Really captures your attention. I'm just drawn to it like a fly is to a light. First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. That's all right. First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. Are we all there? This is a principle that Christians need to understand and live by. The Bible says some remarkable things right here. It says in First Peter chapter three verse fifteen, but sanctify the Lord God in your what hearts, hearts and be always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. For the hope that is in you, watch this, with meekness and fear. In fact, you just pay attention. I'm going to be sharing a quotation with you by the end of this presentation. That is going to be so startling. You're going to be shaking in those seats. You just wait. First Peter, First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I want you to understand some very basic principles we learned about how to be a witness for God. By the way, you know Job was one of the greatest witnesses during his time. Do you know what Job says in his own book? Oh, that my words were written. Job didn't even know that one day his words would be written. But that witness has carried out and has given comfort to so many people who have gone through trial and agony and pain. You may not know the effects of your witness. And when your time is gone, that witness may keep going all the way till the end of time. But ladies and gentlemen, understanding this principle found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the principles by which we are to live will make our witness more powerful and more effective than it could have been otherwise. Here Peter is speaking, and this is big mouth Peter who had learned some powerful things. Big mouth Peter who like, whenever he would talk, it was like as if he would just push himself into some trouble. Do you remember Peter one day, he said, like, Lord, if that's you, call me out. And he walks in, he looks, at everyone, looks around everybody and starts drowning. This is the same Peter who was on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, who when the God was just appearing in his glory with Moses and Elijah, he starts talking and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us make a tabernacle for you and Moses and Elijah. And you know what God says? The Father actually speaks and says, Peter, close your mouth. Close your mouth. This is the same Peter who was always questioning who was always talking out loud and here's the same peter who is now converted and look what he says in 1st peter chapter 3 verse 15 one more time but sanctify the lord god where in your, in your where hearts the first principle in understanding this verse or this principle is the first step is this sanctifying God in your heart putting God in your heart allowing God to enter into your heart now the first place that can begin each and every day is by spending time with Jesus can you say amen to that right everybody take your Bible let's go to Isaiah chapter 50 some of you may think to yourself oh I know where he's going with this you just wait I love to surprise people in the in sermons Isaiah chapter 50 Isaiah chapter 50. The Bible also says in Ephesians chapter 5 that God sanctifies us through His Word. But how can we let Jesus into our heart each and every day? Take your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Let's start with verse 4. If we're called to be a witness to everybody in this world, we need to understand this first principle. First, Isaiah chapter 50, starting with verse 4. The Lord God has given me the what? Tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him is weary. Now watch this. It doesn't say Folgers awakens me morning by morning. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? What does it say? The Lord awakens me what? Morning by morning he awakens my ear to hear as the what? Now that's an extremely important principle. Here we begin to understand why God is waking you up in the morning to spend time with him. He wants to educate you. When the Bible says he is giving you the tongue of the learned, the Bible is saying he wants to spend time with you to teach you. A lot of times we just think to ourselves, well, I just want to get my morning time in so I don't get stressed out during the day by my neighbor. That is not the purpose of you reading the Bible. The purpose of you reading the Bible is to spend time with God so that He can give you the tongue of the learned, so He can educate you for spiritual things. In fact, you want to know what this education can produce? Take your Bible. Let's go to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. I'm going to show you something very powerful here. Psalms 119. Go all the way to verse 97. Psalms 119, going all the way to verse 97. Are we all there? Please say amen. Amen. This is David speaking. Watch what he says right here. It's so remarkable. It's so powerful. Oh, how I love your law. It is my what? Meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, now watch this, make me what? wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Now watch verse 99 because that's key. I have more understanding than all my... Do you hear what David just said? David actually just said, I'm smarter than my teachers. He actually said, I have more understanding than those who are teaching me. Well, how's that, David? Let's read the rest of the verse. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your what? Testimonies are my what? Meditation. Here we begin to understand so, something so powerful about what takes place when we spend time with God. When our finite minds come into contact with God's infinite minds, you know what it does? It changes us. And God begins to educate us, not just about spiritual things, but about things of this world. And like David, we can say, I actually have more wisdom than all my teachers because your meditations, your testimony is my meditation. Ladies and gentlemen, for all the students, how many people want to be smarter than their teachers? I mean, isn't that the goal of education? To be smarter than those who taught you so you can go the next step? Some of you teachers don't want to admit that. But ladies and gentlemen, here you begin to understand something so powerful, and that is this. God wants you to spend time with him so that he can educate you, so he can equip you, so he can give you the tongue of the learned. Now, I'm not somebody who is this brilliant speaker or somebody who is this very intellectual person. I'm pretty normal. I'm very normal. I'm so normal, it's weird. I'm not somebody who's a very social person. Publicly, I may sound like a social person, but just one-on-one during potlucks and things like that, I just go in a little corner, I don't like talking to anybody. (laughs) That's who I am. That's who I am. But it's very interesting, as I have spent time with God more and more in the morning, as I have received the things that he has given to me, God has been blessing the ministry, and I give him all the glory and praise. Can you say amen to that? And God deserves that. But when you spend time with God in that morning, he will educate you for whatever you do. You may be growing into becoming a doctor or a lawyer, and guess what? When you spend time with God, he will make you the head and not the tail. He will give you the tongue of the learn. In fact, I was somebody when I actually first got to speak, first time after was called to do some public speaking, when I just became Adventist, they asked me to go up front and to do tithes and offerings. How difficult can that be? Oh, it was so difficult for me. I got up there, first time I had to get up on church stage, and I was reading the offering call and I froze. (laughs) I messed up so bad, I'm not exaggerating. The pastor actually had to come up and finish the rest of the tithe and offering call for me. He actually got up and he says this, no joke, what Anel is trying to say is that the offering is going to be going for conference in Vance. And I just was frozen in terror, but let me just tell you something. The first time I actually got to Weimar, I had a terrible nightmare. When I began to understand that I was going to be a pastor, I had a terrible nightmare the first month I was at Weimar College. You know what my nightmare was? I actually had a nightmare that I was at Doug Batchelor's church, and I was near the stage, and word came to me that Doug Batchelor couldn't be there, and they needed me to speak. I remember just walking up on the stage, and I woke up with a cold sweat. Now, you think that's funny. Nearly one year later, it became a reality. But Doug Batcher wasn't there. They actually just said, hey, we need a student to speak at Sac Central. And somehow I raised my hand. I got up there. The first thing I said is, God has fulfilled my nightmare, ladies and gentlemen. And this is somebody who is not some eloquent speaker. But I begin to understand the more I was spending time with Jesus, the more he was equipping me for what he was calling me to do. Whatever I was being called to do, and whatever you are called to do, no matter what, if you spend time sanctifying Jesus in your heart each and every day, you will get better at what you are called to do. You will get better. And there is no better teacher than Jesus. Amen? In fact, what is so remarkable, one day my sister, who got married, she said, we need you to say something up front. I said, all right, I'll say something up front. Here I am speaking before 500 Muslims, Hindus, and Sikhs. To get up there and to talk about a Christian institution is not always the easiest thing without arousing persecution, (laughs) even if it was at my sister's wedding. So I get up there prayerfully and I said, God, 10 minutes, do what you need to do. And I gave this talk, I talked about the beauty of marriage and what God has blessed. I talked about how I would be praying for them. I talked about how they needed to understand that love was a journey. And these are the same Hindu uncles I've had who got angry at me when I became a Christian. When I walked off that stage, there was pin drop silence. And I walked off that stage and they just started clapping. And it was totally a God thing. In fact, one of my sister's good friends who happened to be a speech and debate teacher at Long Beach State University told my sister, she said, that was the best wedding speech I have ever heard. And I said, let me just tell you, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. But ladies and gentlemen, when you spend time with God each and every day, I promise you this, the word of God declares it. God will bless you. He will make you better at what you call call to do. But you need to always understand that fundamental principle that you will not begin that day without spending time with Jesus. I know so many times it's just like you hear that over again. But ladies and gentlemen, I have, when I went to school here, there were students here who had memorized the entire book of Revelation, students here who were so faithful, students who had built spiritual monuments here, who are no longer in the faith. And there are times where I felt like I was being, drawing into that same, sort of that same area. But ladies and gentlemen, what brought me back over and over again in the midst of my failures was that time I spent with Jesus in the morning. And it was an anchor for my soul. And it is my safety every day when I behold the Lamb of God. And it will be your safety until he comes back. Ladies and gentlemen, do not trust your abilities. You need to trust God. You need to spend time with God. And you need to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts each and every day. Can you say amen to that? We need to learn to simply linger in the presence of God. Learn to wait. And by the way, the first person who began to walk with God was who? Enoch. But you know what's so interesting about Enoch? He was the seventh from Adam. Enoch walked with God and was not for God what? Took him. Do you know, when you take a good look at the genealogy of Adam, Adam actually lived shortly after Enoch's translation. Do you want to know why that was hope for Adam. Because the other time you hear about somebody walking with God was who? Adam where? In the garden. And when that was lost through sin, he saw all his descendants fall into rebellion over and over again. Ellen White even says he wandered like essentially like an old man telling people about the fall. And they blamed him and they said, we want nothing to do with you. And here he is, he's coming down to the end of his life and he sees one of his descendants who's walking with God. In fact, you want to know why that is so remarkable? Because Adam was the first person to be given a death sentence and he lived long enough to see somebody beat the death sentence. And it was a testimony to Adam that one day men could walk with God again. It was a testimony to Adam, Enoch's life, that one day mankind could, could, through the power of God, overcome death itself. And Enoch was the very first human being to enter into heaven. And this was a testimony to Adam and gave Adam hope at the end of his life. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to learn to walk with God. How's your walk with God? Can you say you walk with God each and every day? Can you say he's your best friend? Ladies and gentlemen, if you cannot say that, then take this as a challenge that you need to start praying for that walk. That you would say, Lord, teach me to walk with you. Wake me up every day. And you will be surprised when he wakes you up in the early morning hours just to simply commune with you and teach you things as you linger in his presence. I was somebody who when I first began to read the Bible, I could not read it. It was like a foreign language to me. And it was so beautiful was the desire of ages. And I really really believe one of the purposes of Spirit of Prophecy is because of how degenerate our minds are. We don't understand the Bible like they used to. So we need help. Desire of Ages, I remember the first time I realized God was with me in the morning. One day I was just sitting out opening up Desire of Ages, and I was reading about the cross. How even when Jesus felt forsaken by God, there in that cloud was none other than the Father and His angels. And God was letting me know, Anel, I'm with you. Ladies and gentlemen, you need that experience. You need that experience. Well, let's continue. First principle is sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And next principle, and always be what? Always be ready. In other words, your availability is God's opportunity. Can you say amen to that? You have to be ready at all times. I know we may have Call Porter Tuesday, or we may have Sunday outreach, but all those things are artificial ways to teach you how to be ready at all times, to be a witness when God calls you. Can you say amen to that? And God wants us to be stored up with knowledge and to understand the things of the Word of God. Because if we don't know the Word of God, we can't present the Word of God. Amen? Amen. In fact, what was so interesting, one day when I was with, at Weimar College, I was with one of my good friends. We went to Lodi, California. On the way back from Lodi, California, we saw these young students out on the corner and they were doing car wash signs. And I thought to myself, I wonder if that's Lodi Academy. We continued driving all the way to the corner and it said Lodi Academy class trip, fundraiser. I thought to myself, I bet you these poor students need money to go to Hawaii. I said, we should turn around. So we turned around, and all these seniors huddled, came up to the car, and they were just so excited because they knew we were going to give them some money. And I said to them, I said, what's this all about? And they said to me, "Uh, we're raising money for our school, and we're trying to do a fundraiser because we need to go to Hawaii because it's our senior year. And I said, "Uh, what type of school is this? And they said, oh, it's Lodi Academy. I go, is that some type of Catholic school? And they said, no, it's a Christian school. Oh, I go, like you like a Sunday Christian, right? And they said, no, we go to church on Saturday. And it was so interesting, I never forgot, half the students left. And there's still a group of students there. My friend was just cracking up the whole time. And I said, Saturday, just like that, very emphatically, I said, Saturday, you go to church on Saturday? And they're like, yeah, we go to church on Saturday. The Bible talks about that. They go, where does the Bible talk about that? More of the students left, and there's just a few left, and I said to them, I said, where does the Bible talk about it? And one student said, it says in Exodus chapter 20, it says the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verse eight, and he begins to just recite the, the fourth commandment. And I said to him, wait a minute, the commandment says it, why is it the rest of the Christian world doesn't follow it? They all left except for that same student. And he turns to me and he says, because in AD 321, Emperor Constantine changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. And it was so interesting. I just started smiling really big. And I said, really? He said, yeah. I go, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist too. I never forgot. As soon as I said that, all the other seniors who had walked 100 feet away, they looked and just gave this bad look at me. They were just angry. And I turned to this student and I said to him, I said, I said, wait a minute. I said, We're going to get a car wash here, no problem. I said, how did you learn all these things? I never forgot his answer. Never forgot his answer. He said to me, my dad makes me memorize these things because he told me one day, he said, you may never know when you need to use it. I said, you tell your dad he's a good man and he's teaching you right. Ladies and gentlemen, the time will come when we we will be called to give a witness. And it may not be a king or a queen. It may be the guy at the store, but we will be called to give a witness. And if all we can say is this is what my parents taught me, or if all we can say is this is what Ellen White says. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we don't know how to quote the scripture, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be in big trouble. We're going to be in big trouble if we don't know how to quote God's word. In fact, look what Ellen White says here, it's so powerful. She says something so remarkable, and this is something you don't want to forget. Every position of truth taken by our people will bear the criticism of the greatest minds. It will bear the criticism of the greatest minds. The highest of the world's great men will be brought into contact with truth, and therefore every position we take should be critically examined and tested by the scriptures. Now we seem to be unnoticed, but this will not always be. Movements are are at work to bring us to the front, and if our theories of truth can be picked to pieces by historians, by historians, or the world's greatest men, it will be done. Now you may think you can give good answers in your Sabbath school or good answers to your Bible teachers, then that satisfies them. But when you come across the world's greatest men and they start asking you questions, ladies and gentlemen, you better have an answer for what you believe in. And there is no one to blame except for the lack or the neglect of this time that you have to learn these things. If there is ever a time God is calling us to treasure up these beautiful truths and read our Bibles every single day, it is now. It is now. In fact, I was just commissioned by the conference to do an evangelistic series in Mountain View, California. That's the Bay Area. Let me just tell you about Mountain View. Mountain View has more PhDs per, per square mile, San Jose, Silicon Valley, per, per square air, square mile than any other area in the United States. More PhDs there. They have Stanford University with Condoleezza Rice over there as well. Google is over there. I was telling people earlier, when I got there, let me just tell you about my neighbors. Neighbor on the right was vice president of YouTube. He was Indian, too. <laughs> the other neighbor was president of the internet company, SimTech. The president, he was being picked up by a limo every day. Walked across the street, spent some time with a guy who was working on a European muscle car. Walked back to the house where I was staying and the people said, oh, you met Bob. I go, who's Bob? They said he's vice president of the entire Wells Fargo Corporation. That's the world, ladies and gentlemen. And when I was doing an evangelistic series, I decided from the very beginning I better make sure I am not stretching anything. I better make sure that everything I believe is absolutely credible and honed by the Spirit of God. And sure enough, ladies and gentlemen, I had people from Google, employees from Google. uh, Praise the Lord, we baptized 17 people. It's all glory to God. We even baptized a lawyer from Google. And let me just tell you, lawyers are not the easiest people to deal with. (laughs) Study with her on the Bible on certain things, and she was constantly asking me questions about dates. And if I didn't know about these dates, that woman would not be a Seventh-day Adventist today. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever a time we need to understand things, it is now. Movements. I love what she says. Movements are at work to bring us to the front. You never know what opportunities may take place where God is calling you to bear a witness. To bear a witness to this world. In fact, we were also also sitting with a guy who was was actually in India. He got picked up by Google because of how smart he was when it came to understanding the Internet and computers. They actually paid for him to get his master's at Stanford while he was working, and he's actually involved and part of the production of Google News. What's Google News? You know what Google News is. It's when you open up your computer and you press News, and those articles come up, and they're constantly being updated, and you find one of the, one of the uh, most widely visited news agencies of all time constantly changing news. Sure it's kind of biased but you're looking at a highway right there. Information highway and here's a guy who is now learning Adventist truth who may play a part about what information is now going up there. Ladies and gentlemen you don't know what part you may be called to, to play. You may not know what opportunity God may call. You may think to yourself I'm before my time or I, it's just a little too late for me. You are wrong. You are wrong. One day Jacob was called to go to Pharaoh. Even Ellen White says that when he went to go see Pharaoh after Joseph brought him back, that he actually blessed Pharaoh. And she even says with a conscience superiority, he placed his hands on Pharaoh. This old man placed his hand on the mightiest ruler of earth at that time and blessed him. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't know what role you may be called to play. You need to be ready at all times. Can you say amen to that? Ready at all times. And when you spend time with God more each and every day, God will give you greater opportunities to be a witness for him. I promise you this. God will not make your life boring. Can you say amen to that? Now we need to understand something else. The Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the what? The hope that is in you with what? meekness and fear notice what the Bible is not saying the Bible is not saying everyone who asks you a reason for the destruction that is coming upon the earth the Bible is wanting us and God is telling us the way we need to be communicating our truth is with hope I have some friends and I love my friends but sometimes they're just all about the destruction of the world I want to be about the second coming amen but sometimes they say the most unusual things. They say, brother, let's go knock on some doors so the end of the world happens. I said, the end of the world. I said, you mean the second coming, right? That's right. That's what I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, we should not want the destruction of this world. Amen? We are presenting hope to people. We should want lead people to the cross. We should lead people to the second coming. We should be presenting our things in such a way to bring hope for people. Can you say amen to that? I have grown up... You can say as a baby Adventist when I was baptized, I'm a teenage Adventist right now. 13 years, been an Adventist. Learning a lot of things. God is constantly teaching me things. And what happens at potlucks, when you're sitting around with a bunch of Adventists and one new person, and you know what everyone starts bringing up? What the Catholic Church is doing wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not the focus of our mission. And we need to understand that. And there's a lot of Adventists who have lost sight of that. In fact, if you want to read some of Spirit Prophecy, she says the time may come where we may not we may have to say less about that church. And if you want the reference come up to me afterwards, I will get it to you. We need to be presenting hope and drawing people to the Lamb of God. We need to present the truth as it is in Jesus, and as we present these most beautiful truths, people are going to be drawn to these things. They're going to be drawn to hope. They're not going to be drawn to the unusual features of conspiracy theories. They're going to be drawn to hope. Can you say amen to that? This is what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to lead people to the hope of the world, and that is Jesus. So anything you're presenting, always be aware that within an earshot of your conversation, there is somebody who is not Adventist or does not know what you know. And I tell that to all my church people all the time. I said, always be careful. There is a visitor here within earshot, and he hears what you're saying. And if you're criticizing things, if you're criticizing the church, they're going to be hearing that criticism. In fact, one day I had this very interesting experience. I went down to Southern California to visit my family, hung out with my Christian family. Christian mom, her name is Josie, and she said, hey, I heard there's a new Adventist church in Colton, California. She said, let's go. I said, all right. So we went there. And as we were driving, we didn't go to a traditional church. As we were driving, we were going into this plaza. I said, this is strange. And as we're getting into this plaza, we noticed a sign, and the sign said, The Seventh Day Church. I said, Seventh Day or Seventh Day Adventist? But it said, The Seventh Day Church. I said, This is strange. We went in there. As soon as we got in, there was a lot of people, and there was this preacher who was speaking, and he was rebuking everything left and right. No one had a chance. And he was showing constantly pictures of people who were committing acts of sin, even people in the conference. And he was saying, look at all the bad things they're doing. And this was his message, no joke. And we sat down there, and it was just this unusual spirit in this room. And everybody was like, amen, preach it. And they were just going back and forth. And I began to realize this was no Seventh-day Adventist church. It was actually an independent church. So afterwards was, um, well, let me just say about this experience. So while we were there, I was getting a little bit bored because I tuned out, and I looked, and there was this paper, it's so interesting, and this guy was writing a letter to a local Adventist pastor, and he was just saying some very critical things. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And the guy who actually wrote the paper, walked up there, and he just snatched the paper, and looked at me and walked away. And then he saw me later on, I guess he felt guilty, and he says, hey man, come to Potluck, I'm sorry about that. So anyway, so we went there, and we decided to stay for Potluck. We decided to stay for potluck. We sat down, and you know what I discovered? A few of my church members were there. We sat down for potluck, and immediately the conversation began just to just go to the left. And they begin to talk about how bad the church is. They begin to criticize the church. Some of them said, we're not hearing the straight testimony anymore. That's why we're coming here. This brother, he's preaching the straight testimony. One other person says... Yeah, the conference, they're full of a lot of bad people. One other person said, no joke, right within just five, ten minutes, all the complainers started raising their hands in that little potluck group. Somebody says, well, you know what else is a problem? I wanted to give a Bible study, and my pastor told me I couldn't give a Bible study. And so they were just constantly coming up with these criticisms, and I was just sitting there, and my friend Josie, she was just looking at me, and she's like, don't do it. And I was just putting my head down, and I said, Lord, help me to hold my tongue holding my tongue, hold my tongue. And then what really did it was this one lady, and she said this, and she said, and the Adventist church, it's Babylon. And you know, just there's certain things that just like with the canda where there is a line drawn, and when that line is crossed, that's sort of, it just brings out a canda. And so I turned to her, and I said, "Give me God, give me words to say. I said to that person, I said, Brother, I just turned to them. I said, Let me ask you a question. And this it was so interesting. It was totally a God thing. They all turned to me. And I said, Brother, let me ask you a question. You said your pastor couldn't give you, a, didn't allow you to give a Bible study? He goes, Yeah. I go, What Bible study did you want to give? And he says, Well, somebody had put out, they wanted Bible studies, and I wanted to give them a Bible study on the mark of the beast. I said, For the very first Bible study, man? He said, Yeah. I said, I want not let you give a Bible study either. I said, truth is progressive. And then I turned to the other person who was just nailing the conference, and I said, "I said, sister, how many times have you been to the conference? She says, zero. Then I said, you need to go to the conference. Those are imperfect men, but they're praying men. And God has appointed them. And then I turned to that person who was just really going after battle. I felt like Samson, hip and thigh, hip and thigh, hip and thigh, knocking them out. And so I turned to that, I turned to that uh, lady, who just called the church Babylon and I said to her I said sister I said Do you accept the writings of the spirit of prophecy she said absolutely I said you read seven different places Ellen White says don't call the church Babylon don't call the church Babylon don't call the church Babylon I said when you read revelation chapter 3 tell me what movement comes after Laodicea There is no other movement this is the final movement and it was just pin drop silence and God just impressed me at that moment appeal so I said brothers and sisters The church is imperfect. Pastors are imperfect. The conference is imperfect. But this church is still the apple of God's eye. And God calls you to come back to his hope, to his bride. And then I said, let's pray. We prayed. Next Sabbath, they returned. All glory to God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to present the hope of the world. Can you say amen to that? God is calling us to be faithful. Now watch this. The next part of this equation is something very interesting. Next part of this equation is this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense of the, every, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with what? Meekness and what? Fear. Meekness and fear. That's very important. The way you are communicating truths to people. In fact, next, this Saturday when I talk about, I'm going to be talking about how I dealt with the most vociferous atheist in that philosophy of science class. You don't want to miss Saturday night. One lady, she, I mean, I'll tell you, we just wait till Saturday night. But here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. The way we need to communicate our truths to people as we are talking to them one-on-one needs to be with meekness and fear. And this is what blew my mind away right here. This quote is going to blow your mind away. Are you ready for this? I am so, I'm trembling for this right here. I'm trembling about this because I'm not sure you're going to want to read this quotation. But we'll still put it up anyways. The time will come when we shall be called to stand before kings and rulers. We've talked about that magistrates and powers in vindication of the truth now watch this then it will be a surprise to those witnesses to learn that their positions their words the very expressions made in a careless manner or thoughtless way when attacking error or advancing truth expressions that they thought would not would be that they had not thought would be remembered will be reproduced and they will be confronted with them and their enemies will have the advantage putting their own construction on these words that were spoken unadvisedly. Now, we always talk about, yeah, you're going to be called to, to the witness stand, and we talk about all the glorious things, like you're just going to witness, but she warns us that there's going to be some of our own people, who, when they're called up to that witness stand to witness before the greatest kings and rulers, that they will return, and they say, will come to us and said." But what did you say last year? Now, when I read this quote, I thought to myself, 15 years ago, I probably would have dismissed something like that. Do you think this is a reality now? You absolutely better believe it. If there's ever a time we are being watched, if there's ever a time that our actions are being noticed, if there's ever a time that people are taking a, a very detailed look at our lives and who we are it is now and if we're going out feeling like we can just speak careless words and say this about that or about this government or about this politics ladies and gentlemen these things are going to be reproduced and used against us that's why when we're communicating these beautiful truths we need to make sure it is done in the fear of God with complete respect to the people we are talking to because if we fail in this department, it will be to our disadvantage. Ladies and gentlemen, there's, she is not simply giving something that potentially could be taking place. She is saying, this is what's going to happen. And I pray, and to God, that is not me. I hope it's not you either. When you're called to witness for that truth. And they brought up things about your life that you thought, well, I just sort of thought, well, it wasn't a big deal. For me to say this about that group or that group. If there's ever a time we need to be careful with our words, it is now. But as we spend time with God each and every day, ladies and gentlemen, as we spend time with God each and every day, God will hone our words. He will give us his Holy Spirit. That as we're communicating these truths, people will sense it is Jesus who is speaking and not yourself. The Bible talks about the disciples, who that when they were communicating the truth, they, the Pharisees and Sadducees remarked that they were unlearned men, but yet they had been with Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that it could be said about you. I want to come to an end with this sermon. Ending's very simple. Very simple. God is using his providence right now. You may, be going, you may be a student here at Weimar College. You may be a faculty member. You may have a certain position here, and you think to yourself, I'm not out in the world. But one day, God's providences may bring you to people whose eternity hangs in the balance. God may bring you to some of the greatest kings and rulers who your testimony and your words will save those people for all of eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to see the Bible in living sound. We're going to be able to just hang out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's going to be glorious. Talk to them about the scriptures. We're going to be able to pray, just commune with Jesus, and boom, he's going to be right there to speak with us. And there we'll walk by the rivers of the water of life, and Jesus will explain truths to us that did not make sense in our life. We're going to be able to do that. But the one thing we will never do again is give the gospel to a dying world. That time is now. That time is now. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be no more sinners to save. Monday, probation is going to close. People will have made their decisions. And there will be no more need for a single missionary. Bible worker to go out into the world and those times are coming quickly ladies and gentlemen right now God is calling each and every one of us to be a witness to be available to God each and every day to spend that time with him to understand what is the message He would have us to give to be like John the Baptist to have value in the sight of heaven because of our character Jesus can change your character This is the time that God is calling us to spread His Word. To point people lost and confused to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of this world. Just a very simple appeal. And that is this. If it's at your desire, you're saying, Lord, in the core of my soul, I want to make a decision. I'm thinking about this right now as I'm saying this. Because I know this needs to appeal to my own heart. God, I want you to be in my heart each and every day. I mean, I truly want you to dwell in me because I know when you're in me, you're going to flow out of me to other people. You're going to bless other people when you dwell in my heart, when Christ is in me, the hope of glory, when the mystery of God is finished. God, I want that to take place. I want you to dwell in me each and every day. Ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus dwelling in your heart right now? Because if he is not, it's time you open that door. And let him in. He's waiting to use you to do great things and to fulfill those plans that he has for you. you will to let Jesus dwell in your heart right now, sanctifying God in your heart right now. Is that your desire? It's my desire. I want Jesus to dwell in my heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you. Thank you for what you said in John chapter 6, that he who comes to you, you will in no wise cast away. Lord, you cast demons out, but you don't cast sinful human beings away from your presence. God, we need you to dwell in our hearts. We need you to dwell in our hearts, our minds, the throne of our emotion. God, we are lost without you. And we confess our weakness, but we also confess your greatness and mercy. Lord, I know there are people standing here who in a short while, you will be using them, God, the most pivotal moments. And Father, I just want to pray every person here, every person will have an answer of the hope that is in them with meekness and fear Father this is our prayer in Jesus name Amen God bless you This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more